0: Welcome to the Exposing Mold Podcast. My name is Keely Severson, and I am here with co-host Eric Johnson and our special guest today, Alan
1: Bell. This podcast is brought to you by Michael Rubino, the Mold Medic, and All-American Restoration, the first and only mold remediation company in the country specializing in remediating mold for people with underlying health conditions or mold sensitivities they've quickly become the most recommended remediation company from doctors and mold inspectors nationwide. Check out our show notes to pick up your copy of Michael Rubino's book, The Mold Medic, an Expert Guide on Mold Remediation, or visit allamericanrestoration.com to get your home assessed and get your health back on track today. Alan,
0: thank you for joining our podcast today.
2: You're welcome. Glad to be here.
0: Ellen, you're an attorney and you deal with a lot of toxic tort cases and toxic mold cases. Is that correct?
2: That's correct.
0: My question for you on the legal front is, what do you see as the biggest problem or the series of problems or maybe obstructions is a better word for people who have been harmed by toxic mold and are unable to receive justice?
2: Well, that's, that's quite a loaded question. There's a lot of obstructions. First of all, most of the people in the medical profession do not even recognize mold-related illness, number one. So if you go to your physician or your local doctor, they'll say you have an infection or you have a virus or you have this or you have allergies, but most doctors are not trained to the concept or the reality that mold could could be quite devastating to human health. It could even cause death. Why are doctors not familiar with this? It goes to medical school. They're not being taught this in medical school. The average doctor who receives a medical degree receives an average of six hours of, of instruction on how the environment impacts human health. Yet most disease and premature death is caused by environmental toxins that are found in our everyday lives, for, in, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces. So number one, you're going to a doctor that doesn't understand this illness or the fact that somebody is injured by mold. Number two, you go to a lawyer who says, well, if, that, if, if you believe that this is happening to you, I need a doctor to testify as to this in court. And you're going back to square one where most doctors don't even understand this. But if you do find a doctor that does, and there are some some of them, uh, and then you find a lawyer that is capable of handling a case like this, then you need to prove it in court. And in order to prove it, you need to show the existence of mold through a, a valid test, usually conducted by a certified industrial hygienist. Most of these people who who are advertising on TV that they could test for mold, they're not really qualified. And there's no special certification that's required. Any Tom, Dick, or Harry can go out and say, I'm a mold expert and pay me $1,000, and I'll tell you if there's mold in your house. But unless they're certified a certified industrial hygienist through the American Academy of Toxicologists or, or Industrial Hygienists you may get a mold test that is inaccurate. So let's assume you get a mold test that is accurate. It shows the existence of mold. Then you go to your doctor who who is one of these rare doctors who can actually test for this. You could take a urine test to see if there's mold metabolites that are uh, that are urinating out. And if they are, then you know that the mold that's in your workplace or home is getting into your body through what you breathe, through what you touch, and you're urinating it out. So then you go to court, and let's say you you want to sue somebody. Most insurance companies won't even cover mold. So let's say I own a house. I'm a homeowner, and I have mold in my house, and I get sick from mold in my house. You go to your insurance company and say, please pay for this. Most insurance policies don't even cover mold. So you have no insurance, you have nothing to go after. So there's a lot of problems with mold victims finding justice in court. But I'm one of the few lawyers that take on cases that I could prove and I could bring in expert witnesses that I know, doctors that I could call, expert industrial hygienists that I could call, and I'm one of the few mold lawyers that could put the pieces together if they're there.
0: Thank you for answering that question. What would you say to not a homeowner, but a renter who was dealing with toxic mold in their rental in order to help them maybe gain evidence to get out of their lease or have a lawsuit against their landlord or force their landlord to repair the dwelling in a, in a proper manner?
2: First of all, if you ask the landlord to test for mold, they either won't, or if they do, they'll find someone incompetent to say, there's no, there's no mold in your apartment. Yes. So I would hire my own certified industrial hygienist, and they could range in price anywhere from $500 to $1,000 $1, and uh, have them test your apartment. And if it's positive for mold, and you want to get out of the lease, you show your landlord the, a copy of the mold report, and you say, get me out of the lease. If they refuse to get you out of the lease, if they refuse, refuse to let you go, that's considered constructive eviction, which means you're basically living in a place that's unsafe. And when a landlord rents a place to you, they indirectly certify that it's habitable. But if you could show that it's uninhabitable and you show it to them and they still refuse to take you out of the lease, I would just leave and let them try and sue you for uh, rent through the end of the lease. And um, they won't be successful because of that mold report.
0: Thank you for answering that. I know that you had an exposure when you were working in Florida from your office. Is that correct?
2: That's correct.
0: Do you have any residual symptoms? Because one thing that a lot of people may not be aware of is that an exposure from a long time ago can still affect somebody years later. So I'm wondering if you have continuous symptoms or if you have the type of sensitivity that so many people develop where they essentially become walking mold radars.
2: Yes. I was poisoned back in 1989 in a brand new building. My office was located. I also was working in a courthouse that was completely loaded with mold. They've since knocked down the courthouse because they couldn't get the mold out of it. And hundreds of people in the building in the, in the courthouse were sick. It was a few of them that died. So as a result of my exposures, I still to this day have residual symptoms. I have fatigue. I feel like I have the flu all the time. And I am hypersensitive to many, many chemicals in the environment. It's called multiple chemical sensitivity, which is what I have. I'm also sensitive to mold. (laughs) Like many of your viewers, You could walk into a place and tell them exactly if there's mold or there's not mold. You could feel it before other people can even detect it. So I'm on medicine. I'll probably be on it for the rest of my life. It's an anesthesia medicine called gabapentine. And that takes the edge off of it. I also eat really pure. I exercise every day. I sweat every day to try and get toxins out of me. And I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm functional now, where I could actually go out and help other people. So I hope that answers your question.
0: Yes, thank you. You are still practicing law in California, is that correct?
2: I actually have represented victims all over the country. Okay. Uh, I live in California, but I also have a place in Florida, Utah, and I entertain cases all over the country.
0: We recently spoke with an attorney in Texas who is looking for other colleagues nationwide to form a referral network with. Would it be okay if we sent an introduction email between the two of you?
2: I think I know who you're talking about. What's her name?
0: Christina Baer.
2: I spoke with Christina at length last week. She's a lovely lady. She's extremely intelligent. And we have already connected. I've also also connected with uh, her colleague, a mold lawyer in Florida. Uh, Robert McKee. Right. I I spoke with Robert. We actually had a three-way conversation last week. And, uh, you know, among the three of us, I think we've got the the country pretty much covered coast to coast. He's in Florida on the East Coast. I'm in California on the West Coast. And we got a, a nice gal in the middle in Texas.
0: I love to hear that the mold lawyers are uniting. I'd like to open the floor to Eric Allen. I'm not sure if you know Eric. This is Eric Johnson. He is one of the original prototypes for the Holmes definition of chronic fatigue syndrome. So he was part of the investigation when the CDC was called in to essentially investigate a mystery illness. And I'm sure he'll have a lot of interesting questions for you.
3: Yeah, my um, question is, you were made uh, ill by a sick building years ago before toxic mold was even a thing in the, in the news. So can you tell us about your health journey and what it took for you to locate physicians who understood, understood what you were talking about?
2: You know, that's a very good question, and it's, it calls for a long answer, and I'd be happy to give it to you if you'd like. Absolutely. Well, you know, you take yourself back to uh, the 1980s. I was an organized crime prosecutor. I was prosecuting Colombian cartel rings rings and the mafia. I moved into a brand new building. Suddenly, I began experiencing symptoms, a, a, a runny nose, I felt like I had a cold. It morphed into something that I thought was the flu. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. I went from doctor to doctor to doctor. The original diagnosis was chronic fatigue, immune dysfunction syndrome. It's interesting because that was about the time that the, that epidemic came out in, in Incline Village, Nevada, right? So I went to Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, National Jewish Hospital in Denver, Colorado, University of Miami, but that was the diagnosis. They said, go home and rest, you'll get better. Well, back in those early days, of course, they didn't know much about chronic fatigue syndrome. They thought it was viral in origin. But as it turns out, it wasn't a virus at all. It was the sick building that I was working in. And I found that out because one of the doctors that I went to for chronic fatigue told me that, you know what? Your blood test shows that you were poisoned do you know anybody that would want to poison you? He asked. And I said, yeah, they could take a ticket and wait online. All these Colombian cartel drug defendants that I was prosecuting, they'd all love to see me killed. So I sent investigators to investigate who poisoned me. And what we discovered was, is that yes, I was poisoned, but it wasn't by the mafia. It was by the sick building that I was working in. And so back then, they didn't have mold tests like they have now. They don't have certified industrial hygienists that were readily available that they have now. They didn't have any doctors, no doctors, that had any clue about mold illness at all. So I was basically floundering around. Uh, The doctors told me that because I had become hypersensitive to everything in the environment, perfumes, colognes, hairsprays, automobile exhaust, you name it. Then I needed to sequester myself away from everybody and everything, or it could kill me. So the airlifted me into the middle of the desert, into the middle of the Arizona desert, into an 800-square-foot bubble. And that's where I ended up. The only thing that was around this bubble was cactus, 50 miles in all directions, you saw nothing. No roads, no schools, no workplaces, no people. It was isolated and desolate. And this bubble that I was living in was made out of glass, brick, and steel. That's it. No curtains, no pillows, no soft things to lie on. It was like a cold, austere jail cell. And that's where I ended up. So my wife at the time, could not handle this, so she left me. It was just me and my little girl, a a little young girl. And by that time, I was in a wheelchair tethered to an oxygen tank, and I went down to 145 pounds. I looked like a concentration camp victim. I'm 185 now. This happened when I was 34 years old. Look at me, I'm an old man now, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I've experienced this for, for, for a long time, but I decided to fight back because I needed to stay alive or my daughter would become an orphan. So what I did was is I picked up the telephone. All I had was a telephone. I didn't have a phone. I, I didn't have a fax. I had nothing. There were no computers. There was no way to communicate other than this in the middle of the desert. And with this telephone, this was my link to the outside world. Just like a blind man uses a cane to navigate, this telephone was my only form of communication. And I ended up getting to the top scientists in the world, from the National Institutes of Health, to the Environmental Protection Agency, to the Centers for Disease Control, to top scientists from Harvard and Yale and Johns Hopkins and the rest of them. And I started a little charity called the Environmental Health Foundation. And I raised money through these scientists on my board. And I got some pretty important people behind this movement, including Al Gore, who was the vice president at the time, as well as Gene Cernan, who was the commander of Apollo 17, the last American to walk on the moon. And we raised money and donated it to research and Through that effort, one of the scientists turned me on to this anti-seizure medicine that got me back out of the bubble. And instead of prosecuting one crime at a time that I did as a prosecutor before I became ill, I went after what I believed and I still believe is the ultimate crime, the crime against humanity which we are committing against ourselves. We are poisoning ourselves through chemicals and molds and sick buildings and all kinds of stuff. So I jumped back into the legal arena. I'm sure you've heard of Aaron Brockovich and I hooked up and collaborated with that firm and began representing mold victims all over the country. And uh, that's what I've been doing over the past 25 years. And I've seen this arena evolve. I've seen it not only as a victim, But I've experienced it as a survivor and as an advocate through the charity that I started. And I avenged my plight by going back into the legal arena and helping other people that have become sickened by the environment as well. Right now, I'm speaking with different producers to try and get a television series all about, you know, to tell widespread audiences what's going on out there that we're poisoning ourselves with chemicals and molds and everything else. So here I am, I I wrote a book. We were fortunate enough to watch it zoom up to the number one book, environmental book in the United States, it's called Poisoned. And there's a mold case in there that I talked about that we could talk about later if you wanna know about it, which is a sample of what's going on all over the country on all the thousands and thousands of people that are getting sick and even dying from mold exposure that I've gone into the courtroom with. So that's my story.
3: Wow, what an amazing story. Incredible to be uh, living in uh, Arizona in a a bubble, so sick and, and come back from that. That's just absolutely inspiring, astonishing. It blows me away that you're actually diagnosed with a a syndrome that i started so are you a physician no i was a patient i was the i was the first prototype patient prototype selected to represent the mystery illness for the chronic fatigue syndrome definition
2: were you an incline village
3: yes oh my god that's really cool yeah i got to see this right from the start uh, so you know Dr. Cheney? Very well. Okay. I was I was his first patient. Wow. Do you still have chronic fatigue syndrome? No. Tell you the truth, when Dr. Cheney asked me to serve as a prototype for this, this new syndrome that he wanted, I told him that I had already learned to recover as a result of mold avoidance by staying out of sick buildings. And since I knew he wanted to look into viruses, I was afraid that this would derail his, his concept. And he said, no, that's, that's not a problem. Researchers will come and they'll figure all this out and they'll study your case. And the mold and the sick building syndrome won't interfere. Strangely enough, nobody ever came back to Incline Village. No epidemiology was ever done and nobody found out about the, the sick buildings. You know, you and I
2: have had a very similar experience because back, you know, in those early years, both you and I were were not diagnosed with the same diagnosis, the chronic fatigue syndrome. And both you and I were told by doctors that it was caused by a virus. And both you and I have improved by finding out ourselves that it wasn't a virus at all that it was the environment that hurt us.
3: Yeah, there were several of of us in Incline Village. We've got a desert, very handy. I mean, uh, up past Carson City, we can go right out to the desert, and it's just barren, nothing but sagebrush. And that's what we did. We could drive an hour to the east and be out in the desert and start feeling so much better. And it was such an amazing therapy, and it did so much for us, whereas Dr. Cheney, and Dr. Peterson, all the doctors, they couldn't do anything. So that's what we did. And that became our therapy. And we would come back and try to tell the doctors
1: about this. They didn't believe us.
2: I understand.
1: Listen, a large number of audience members have been reaching out after hearing my tragic COVID story of losing my family member because the hospital treating her refused to provide her the medication she needed to fight the virus. I appreciate all of the love and support. And my biggest piece of advice, advice that I've been providing over and over again is to begin multi-drug treatment day one of COVID symptoms. At mygotodoc.com, you can obtain help from Dr. Saeed Haider, who has treated over 40,000 COVID and COVID long-haul patients with zero deaths. Yes, you heard me, zero deaths. That's an impressive track record for sure. Once you sign up to become a patient at mygotodoc.com, You can send free messages to Dr. Hader's care team forever and obtain prescription medications from the most affordable pharmacies in the country that ship right to your door. And you don't have to deal with price gouging or corporate pharmacies that stop you from receiving the life-saving medications you need. Now, although we're helping, fingers crossed, That Omicron means the end of the pandemic, many researchers are predicting another wave in a few months. That means high-risk patients need preventative treatment or at least meds on hand so they can start treatment fast. Low-risk patients often benefit from off-label meds because they can prevent long COVID. A recent article in Fortune Magazine states that one of the pandemic's biggest mysteries, the symptoms of long COVID, may be playing a huge part in the millions of missing workers. Over 100 million Americans report having lingering effects of the virus. Now, thankfully, after learning all that I know and going through all that I went through, I signed myself and my family up for mygotodoc.com and stocked our medicine cabinets with all of the life-saving medications I wish I had for my deceased loved one. Please learn from my mistakes and prepare yourself today. MyGotodoc.com is your go to resource for COVID 19.
3: So I, I saw that uh,
2: Dr. Nancy Klimas is, is in your book. Did you see her? I did see her. I, ta- I, t- I saw Nancy many times. I was a friend of Nancy Klimas. I'm, we're friends. She was a professor at the University of Miami, and I am an alumni of the University of Miami. Uh, I am also on the President's Council of the University of Miami. And it was that connection that brought us together. And I put a, an Environmental Health Summit on back in 1994 at the Biosphere 2 in Arizona. And Nancy Klimas participated in that event. I have a 12 minute video on it. I could, I could actually uh, send it to you on Dropbox so you could see that summit that i put on i brought together the top scientists on the planet but yes i do know nancy climate she does know me i've seen her several times she's focused on the gulf war syndrome and chronic fatigue syndrome what did she have to say about your case she she took blood tests she said that i had an activated immune system but she doesn't know why okay i told her that i was hypersensitive to everything in the environment she said, yes, there's a subset of patients that are hypersensitive. She's since left the University of Miami because they would not give her sufficient funding. And she's now at Nova University, which is in Fort Lauderdale, which is 30, you know, 30 miles away from the University of Miami. Apparently she got big, big funding there, but I don't know what she's doing now, but whatever she's doing, it doesn't seem like she's had any breakthroughs in treatments. Her focus was not on the environment causing this syndrome. Her focus was on the environment managing the, the, the syndrome. So I don't think she's she, I don't know what her position is on the environment actually causing this.
3: So. Well, I put together a, a little thing that I call the chronic fatigue syndrome history mold tour where I would take people diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome by various doctors all over the country. And I would take them to the very places that baffled Gary Holmes and the Cheney and Peterson into creating this new syndrome. And these are buildings where Stachybotrys was identified, the dreaded black black toxic mold. And it would make an instant believer out of them because people would start screaming. And I go, there you go. That's the stuff. I avoid that like plutonium, and it really seems to help.
2: Do you still live there in Nevada? Yeah,
3: Yeah, same place. I'm in the same place I was 35 years ago.
2: Well, well, if that place made you sick,
3: how come it's not making you sick now? Oh, it was never in my house. Like the uh, original clusters, their houses were fine. It wasn't in the houses at all. It was in the schools. It was in the casino.
2: Did you work in a school? Did you work in a
3: casino? I mean... I was a student at the school, and I worked at the casino, yes. Okay. And some of the workers that are in in the book Osler's Web, the great history about chronic fatigue syndrome, these uh, two people who worked down in the moldy bottom floor that had all flooded out, the carpets were moldy as hell, and that was the funny thing, is it wasn't the people stayed at the hotel that got sick. It was the people working there. It was just the employees. And that should have been a tip-off that they were exposed to something on a chronic basis in that building. And they knew what it was. And they told me, sure, everybody knows the place is moldy, but if we talk about it, we'll be fired. Well, when the mystery illness hit and everybody got sick, yes, there was a virus. It was a nasty virus, but the chronic fatigue syndrome was coined on the basis of who didn't recover from that virus. And all the people who failed to recover were in moldy buildings. So these people did the same thing I did and wanted to try to escape. So they went to work and they found different places to work and recovered to about 80% just by taking the slightest effort to avoid the sick buildings. And the mindset of the doctors was, well, we've got to find that virus and we're not interested in people who recover. Chronic fatigue syndrome is by definition chronic. So we're only going to study people who don't get better. So ne- they never wanted to hear any stories from those of us who took direct action to evade these toxins and had a spectacular recovery.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a crime what's going on uh, You know, to me, the answer is follow the money. If you follow the money, you could better understand why this widespread issue is being swept under the table. It's being swept under the table because the landlords don't wanna pay for anything. The insurance companies don't wanna pay for anything. The property owners don't wanna pay for anything. The doctors are being trained to push drugs. They're not being trained to help prevent illness because the curriculum that's designed in the medical schools is designed the most influential powers over the curriculum in medical schools are the pharmaceutical companies. And they wanna push their drugs. So they're teaching doctors how to push their drugs upon the patients, as opposed to medical schools teaching doctors how to prevent disease to begin with. And it's a widespread problem. And it it all starts when you follow the money. So when you follow the money, you can understand why doctors are not being taught this, why they can't recognize it, why lawyers won't take these cases because there's no pot of gold to get. There's no pot of gold to get because insurance companies won't insure mold recoveries. And the science is just not as solid for mold illness as it is for other types of illnesses because who's gonna pay for that research? When you see research coming out of these medical schools and the federal government, it's research that's funded by pharmaceutical companies or for-profit companies that wanna fund research to show a need for their products, okay? But when there's no power with money that's trying to, you know, who's the power with money that would wanna fund mold research? Nobody. There's nobody, with, there's nobody that's got money okay, that I'm aware of, that's got a vested interest in funding mold research. And because of that, there's not that much research in that. And because there's not that much research, okay, there's not that much science behind it. And there's not many medical doctors that can testify to that because the science isn't there. The science isn't there because nobody's funding that science. So it's all about the money. I hope I didn't confuse
3: you, but... No, I've, I've, I've been over this. I mean, that's a great theory, and I'm sure that is a major, major part of it. No doubt that the primary hindrance to research is the lack of funding and the vested interests that want to prevent any good progress in this, this realm. That's and right. yet, I would also like to study the mindset of researchers because, as I say, I was taking people on this mold tour... And one of the people was a writer, science writer, has done uh, work with the Tribune and the Washington Post, Julie Remire. She's a writer for Chronic Fatigue Syndrome and written a lot of really good stuff on it. And I took her to the sick buildings and I turned her into a mold avoider. She became an instant believer. And she wrote a book called Through the Shadowlands, describes going out to the desert to recover, as some of us did. And Dr. Nancy Klimas read the book and finally has started to look into mold. But here's the thing. I've, I've met Dr. Klimas, and I told her the, the whole story. So she knows about mold at ground zero for chronic fatigue syndrome. She's fully aware of this. And yet she never told anybody. She never looked into it. And she never took any interest. And I like Dr. Klimas. She's a wonderful person. She's a great researcher. She's done all this incredible stuff. And yet, for some reason, and it it doesn't make sense that it's the money, something shut off her mind to this.
2: The money. Yes. I know Nancy. Look. Look. Researchers follow the money. She left the University of Miami to go to Nova University because she was offered a lot of money by Nova to run this program. She was offered a lot of money for research and everything else, okay? If there's no money that's being offered by mole people, they're just not gonna do it.
3: But she could tell people about this for free. But she's
2: not gonna tell it if she doesn't have the science to back up what she's saying.
3: Well, you know, the point of the syndrome is because there is nothing in the literature, no science. That's and right. that, was, that was the deal. It was to get researchers started in, into looking into this.
2: And that's why I say the root of the problem is the money. And if you don't have money to fund... Re- hey, listen, if I had $5 million right now, and I caught up Nancy Klimas on the phone, I said, Nancy, I have $5 million dollars and I want to fund a research project. I want to give you the money, and I want you to research mold's impact on human health and how it might be related to chronic fatigue syndrome. She'll do it. She'll take the money, and she'll do it. Oh, how disappointing. Then, based upon that research, then she'll say, look at this research that I've done. It, It shows this, and now I'm going to Now I'm going to communicate this this science that I've just created to my peers.
3: I was really hoping to get her interested because she knows so many people. She's been in this field for so long. And because I took people with Gulf War syndrome. I took soldiers from Desert Storm on this Mold History Tour. I took them to the same buildings. And they reacted in the exact same way as people with chronic fatigue syndrome.
2: Look, there's different, within the scientific community, there's different factions of scientists. They're not all on the same page and they're all researching different angles. There's another big, huge group in California. That's headed, it's headed at Stanford University, okay? His name is, he's a doctor, his name is Dr. Ron Davis. Ron Davis. He's an MD, PhD. I know the lady that that funded this whole charity. Her name is Linda... Tannenbaum. Tannenbaum, I know Linda, I met her, okay? Tannenbaum is a firecracker. She got Harvard, Stanford, and either Oxford or Cambridge, okay? These three big name universities, okay? But they need money. They funded, they have money. I think she's raised $10 million or something like that, which is a drop in the bucket. But look, you know that Ron Davis's son has a severe case of chronic fatigue syndrome. Wouldn't it be something if, uh, wouldn't it be something, oh, by the way, you know, just call me who I just turned off. You're not going to believe this.
3: I won't believe it.
2: Hold on a second. I'm going to get the call and tell him I'm going to call him right back. This is Bobby Kennedy Jr. Oh, wow. You know who he is? Yes, of course. He's, he's co-counsel with me on a mold case, okay? That, I'm, that was him that just called. Hey, Bobby, Bobby, let me call you right back. On a mold case that I'm working on in Orange County, California, involving 60, sorry, Seventy-nine mold victims. Hey, Bobby. Bobby, can I? Okay, I'm right in the middle of a podcast. Can I call you back when I'm done? Uh, but what property damage? They don't. They're, they're renters. They don't own these places. I'll look at it. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Sorry about that. No problem.
3: Uh, who better to be interrupted by? (laughs) But uh, check this out. You're not going to believe this. I've been down to Stanford half a dozen times, told my story to all those researchers. In fact, I even presented down there. I made sure all of them knew it. And Dr. Davis invited me to his house. So he wanted to see if I could sense any mold as, as a driving force in his son's illness. Right. Well, you know, when we're sensitive at this level, we can be affected by entire regions, you know, not just a house, as in the other, you know, clusters of chronic fatigue syndrome all around me. It wasn't in their house, it was occasional exposure and contamination. And I had to say that Dr. Davis's house, it actually felt okay. Yes, there was some mold there, but it was mostly the common fairly ordinary stuff that doesn't bother me too much. However, the area in general had sufficient toxicity, chemicals and mold and substances from the emitting from the sewer system that I told him when I was at my worst, when I was at the point where I needed to go to the desert to get a break from this, I could not recover at the level of exposure that exists in your neighborhood. And he did not accept that. He doesn't believe that that level of reactivity is, is real, essentially. So, yeah, he knows my story. And I've been after him to look into it. And I'm getting more support now, and more people are backing me up on this. And who knows, maybe we'll get him to look into this. But at, at this point, we're, our level of reactivity is slightly off his radar. And he just doesn't see a connection between his son's case. And our
2: stories. Well, when you went into his son's room, was it toxic in his room?
3: Actually, it wasn't bad. I even laid down and sniffed the carpet. And I'm going, wow, as as far as places go, this really isn't too bad. However, I spent a lot of time going around his neighborhood. And it turns out that there is at least half a dozen sick people bedridden, similar to his son, in that neighborhood. And I said, I believe that this area in general is problematic. And the people who are bedridden here, if you gave them a break by getting them out to a pristine location for a month or two, maybe they could get on top of the power curve and break this cytokine cascade that's
2: keeping them from detoxing. Well, you know, I think that this COVID thing with the long haulers, is going to generate a lot of research into cytokine activation syndromes that's similar to what mold victims experience and i think a lot of this covid related research could very well benefit the mold victim community
3: absolutely yeah what a what an amazing thing i mean to to hear your story and it is absolutely so concurrent i mean just so identical to what we went through in the original chronic fatigue syndrome out- outbreak. So now all we need to do is put the pieces of the, the puzzle together and, and make people aware that this history
2: exists. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I have a website. I speak uh, at college campuses. I speak at medical schools. <laughs> I actually teach medical doctors. Uh, I, tell, I share my story. I. You know, I have a PowerPoint presentation showing them the bubble that I lived in so they could actually see graphically the horror of what these victims go through and um, talk to them in their language, in their medical
1: language.
0: Ellen, if somebody wanted to book a appointment with you or set a date with you to come give a presentation to learn in an educational manner, what would the website be where they could locate you?
2: Well, my website is alanbell.me. So it's just A-L-A-N, B as in boy, E-L-L dot me, M-E, not dot com, dot me. you see the website, you see my story. On the website, there's a link to my YouTube channel, I have a YouTube channel. A lot of these classes that I taught are on my YouTube channel. From Boston University, University of California, University of Miami, I've taught at all these venues. A lot of all of those things are on my on my YouTube channel, and that's you know that's how you can get in touch with me. My book, you can get a link to the book if you want to read my book. There's a chapter in the book about a mold case that I handled which is a very, very sad case. was a case that I handled in Bakersfield, California. There were 67 people that got sick from mold exposure. They were living in low income housing and the, uh, the property owner and the management company covered it up and we found a whistleblower that uh, was able to blow the whistle and no doctors would help them. No lawyers would help them. I took the case. I flew in a doctor from upstate New York to examine all of them. We put the case together. It was actually an infant that died from mold exposure in that case and dozens of other children that were hospitalized from mold exposure in that case. And it was such a sad case that it ended up all over the media. It was on the uh, CBS early show, the Sunday morning early show, which was on national television. It was so horrendous of a mold case. That's on my YouTube channel.
0: I, so. did. I did see that in the YouTube video, and that was absolutely heartbreaking, that story. Alan, we will, link, we will link your book and your website in a copy of today's show notes. And I just want to extend a sincere thank you today for you joining our podcast and sharing your story and having a conversation with us. And I look forward to connecting with you more in the future.
2: You're so welcome, and let me take this opportunity to thank both of you for being emissaries and messengers, and this so important, so much more, so much important issue by you disseminating this information by the guests that you put on these shows, and your efforts, your tireless efforts, and what both of you do. It's it's so it's so great what you guys are doing, and and thank you, thank you so much for getting the word out.
3: I'd like to add in here a point of interest that the uh, Center for Disease Control and NIH officials, I personally made sure that they were completely aware of this. So they, they know about this evidence. And right now they're just saying that they have no clues, nothing to research. They don't know where to start an investigation when they could not be more aware that toxic mold actually started this syndrome.
2: So if you go to my YouTube channel, uh, there's a 12-minute video called The Silent Epidemic. It's a video of all the scientists that I brought together from the National Institutes of Health, Centers for Disease Control, to the Environmental Protection Agency, and I brought all these scientists together, and you hear what they had to say on this video at the Biosphere 2. These scientists that I brought in are so much in agreement that these toxins are killing us, but they just don't have the funding to do much with it. But if you watch that 12 minute video, it'll blow you away. I mean, these are the top scientists on the planet, okay, that I brought together. And this video has them talking about this widespread issue. And they're on board, they get it. The administration that you might've been speaking to are one thing, but the scientists themselves, in in my experience, these top level scientists are good people, they're real people, They really want to do good. They really understand that this is a real problem, but they need funding and they're not getting it. And that's the problem, money.
3: My feeling is if we were to introduce this as a factor into the Holmes 1988 chronic fatigue syndrome, then that would necessitate, it would mandate research because it's direct evidence. It couldn't be ignored. And then you deal with
2: the federal government, which is a big black hole.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And I would absolutely love to see that uh, video of Dr. Nancy Klimas.
2: It's all, it's all on my YouTube channel. Watch it. It's The Silent Epidemic. It's 12 minutes. Okay. Terrific. Okay.